sweet world and welcome to the no dunks podcast on the athletic network it's tuesday june 16th i'm still J.E. skeets alongside me tass mellis the bearded one trey kirby and our super producer jd and we got a very special guest today he is a staff writer for the ringer and you've heard him regularly on their nba podcast before the ringer he was the editor of yahoo sports hit nba blog ball don't lie <laughs> he really turned that site around in my opinion the previous editors were a bunch of clueless hacks He's your man, and he's mine. It's Dan Devine. Dan, what's up, man? Not much. It's it's a it's a joy to be joining two of my two of my most esteemed bosses on this podcast. And of course, I'm talking about Taz and JD. Yes, that's right. <laughs> well, you blew my mind, Dan, when uh, we asked you to come on to this podcast to talk about a couple of columns you recently wrote for The Ringer. Um, that you said the last time you think you were on some iteration of this podcast, whatever it was called at the time, was back in. 2010 i think you said when we were doing like a decade ago when we were doing um a july 1st canada day free agency blowout show or something and i think we had you on is that is that right yeah my memory of that is i was at my old nine to five job because it was when i was freelancing at yahoo i wasn't doing this as a full-time job yet and so i was in like a cubicle at a tech news company having just like played hooky to write about Kevin Durant signing an extension with the Thunder. And, and Matty O uh, asked me if I could come on the show and I had to like go into a hallway into like a stairwell to talk to you guys for like 10 minutes on the phone. And it was, uh, it was, it felt like rebellion, but who knew that it would be A, my future and B, uh, the last time I would talk to you guys for a decade. <laughs> I can't believe it's 10 years ago. It's almost 10 years ago to the day as we approach the beginning of July. I think uh, Tass, uh, Trey, whoever was there. I don't even, Trey, were you even there at that point? I'm not even sure. No, I was the editor of Ball Don't Lie, and Dan, you did not check in with me. What are you used to that day? Oh, my God. I think we had, I, we had like a barbecue going out on the patio. Uh, JD, yeah, Josh, yeah. is that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, drop the camera. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, camera yeah. Got pretty hot. Almost put the camera on the grill. Just <laughs> Oh, well, Dan, it's great to uh, catch up with you here. I've been yeah, talking. <laughs> yeah, run us through the past 10 years real quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I was, gonna, I was like, I mean, I, I would never presume to book your show for you. But like, guys, I've been here. I've been around. <laughs> you know, I'm due. I'm due for the but uh, but uh, it makes it makes me very happy to be here today. Well, last week, you uh, you penned a two part column titled the biggest offseason questions for every NBA team not headed to Disney. And as you wrote right off the top of it. For all that's left unsettled and undetermined about the NBA's plan to resume the 2019-20 season, this much we know for sure, the eight teams that won't be making the trip. The Delete Eight, as John Hollinger has so brilliantly (laughs) classified them. That is so good. So those eight franchises at the bottom of the standings you wrote about, the Warriors, Cavs, Wolves, Hawks, Pistons, Knicks, Bulls, and Hornets. I thought this, uh, I mean, you do tremendous work uh which is why you took over at bold on life for crying out loud but this was i like this because it's a little different right you know we're obviously have done a ton of podcasts on looking forward to resuming the season um you know what we've just heard with Kyrie irving and dwight howard and the, the coalition maybe about whether that's a good idea we've talked a ton about that and we'll continue to do so but this was cool because it's like oh yeah we do know that there's not going to be these eight teams so they have started their <laughs> off season that's the one thing we sort of know um, so we'll maybe make our way through these teams one by one, but what was the most interesting team from these bottom eight, uh, Dan, to write about for you? I think it's the Warriors just because there's like, the, all the other teams are in sort of various stages of building something and the Warriors are the only one that can just like hit the gas tomorrow. You mm-hmm. know, like they, they, they're, no matter what they sort of figure out how they want to play their uh, their economic game or what they do with their draft pick and you know how they use their exceptions and all that sort of stuff they walk into next season with three superstars you know with three, with three all-stars uh, and then you know how they fit those guys around Andrew Wiggins obviously the centerpiece of the organization <laughs> yes. um, but so they're because it's in the similar context of like the year that uh, David Robinson broke his foot and then the Spurs had everything else in place around it but like then Tim Duncan comes in and sets the stage for the next 25 years like I don't know that we're talking about the Warriors being able to go into that same sort of context, but you're talking about an instant contender that fell all the way to the bottom on kind of fluky circumstances. Mm-hmm. So the whole board is open to them. It's just more of a matter of how they want to play it. 
They have, what do you think is the move for them? Do you think it's smarter to there doesn't there's not a Tim Duncan in this draft? It doesn't seem like, but is it smarter to bring in a young guy for the future when you're really building around Wiggins, or is it smarter <laughs> to use that high pick and all of their exceptions to bring in another guy who's going to be you know title contender ready? I think you have to you owe it to the centerpieces of your organization to try to pursue every opportunity you can to get veteran help now or to get to get a a long-term answer now or sorry to to get something that can help you reopen that championship window like Mm -hmm. Stephen Curry built that franchise Clay Thompson and Draymond Green have put in the equity to create what what a franchise that was like a kind of a laughing stock for many for a lot a lot of the last couple decades to turn them into a perennial contender and a multiple time champion you owe it to those guys to try to maximize whatever opportunities they have left and so i would expect that if you know you know Joe Lacob and Bob Myers and the you know the the people who control the money and, and are the the brain trust behind the, the moves in the organization will look for whatever opportunities they can to you know, if it's even if it's eating uh, some luxury tax money on the traded player exception, they have that giant traded player exception from the Iguodala trade. Like, can you get somebody that costs you fifteen million dollars? You know, it, maybe it's not going to be a super duper star, but somebody that can round out your rotation. Um, you're going to have the taxpayer mid level exception. Yes, that's going to cost you a lot of extra money in the luxury tax bill, but adds a bit. You know, maybe a big piece to your uh, your bench and sort of so you're not relying so much on the younger players like they had to throughout this season. And then the draft pick. I mean. If they see somebody that there's guys that make a lot of sense in terms of a fit with what they do, like um, Onyeka Onkongu from USC, uh, as like a you know six nine switchable center that is like a rim runner and a great defensive player can switch one through five. You're like, shoot, that makes a lot of sense for the way the Warriors play. It might be tough to he, you know the value of him at like number one. It might be hard to see, but or right. someone like Tyrese Halliburton out of Iowa State, where it's like a smart playmaker that sort of right off the rip feels like a guy that's you know, a young uh, Sean Livingston, uh, Iguodala kind of player that can contribute mm-hmm. with that heady playmaking. So those guys might be able to, even though they are young, they might that might be able to sort of bridge both, uh, walk, you know, walk both lanes kind of, like help now and then also be a bridge to a future. But I think whatever, whatever opportunities present themselves to get veteran help in now, establish players that can support Curry and Thompson and Draymond, I think you owe it to what those guys have given you to pay that money and to, and to go for it that way. I guess there isn't a Tim Duncan, as you said, but reading your columns after not following the college basketball season whatsoever, not a Tim Duncan player, but some Tim Duncan level names, incredible names. (laughs) You just mentioned Tyrese Halliburton. There's a Killian Hayes. And the other one that you mentioned that it's going to be the Yanis Adetokounmpo of this (laughs) draft. Can you pronounce it again? Well, I can certainly pronounce it. I can't. I'm not positive. I'm saying it right, but uh, I, I said Onyeka Okongwu, but I'm, I might oh. have that wrong. Holy I think God. you knocked it out of the park. Oh but, my God, uh, I'm going to be struggling with that one for a year. <laughs> I can see it now. Great uh, names. Yeah. Maybe not great players, but great names. <laughs> well, yeah. No, no, Dan. How closely do you follow college hoops? And then, of course, like the NBA draft in general. Well, if by follow college hoops you mean pay a lot of attention to what Kevin O'Connor and John Sharks uh, say, uh, then you know. The, uh, I mean, I, I honestly don't watch a ton during the season because it's just it overlaps a lot, and it's yeah. hard enough to have something to say about the 30 NBA teams, let alone like the 150 Division One and Two and international teams and whatever. So I try to pay attention to what. Uh, you know, to, to you know, draft coverage and the people who are doing it both on an independent level, people like the Stepien and some of those, some of those guys, and uh, you know, at the at the bigger sites, and also people, you know, my, my colleagues. But I'm not watching a ton of it, so I couldn't give you like a real breakdown on, on what those guys, are, you know, were during conference play or whatever. But like right. the broad, the broad strokes of what they, you know, what they might be able to bring to the table. I think I feel like I'm getting a better, fi- uh, you know, sort of better fingertips for that. And then, um, but of course, you know, all that's dependent on so dependent on so many things and on the context they go into and the roster around them and the minutes and the opportunities and yada yada so yeah. uh, everything that I think I know now is almost definitely going to be wrong but that's kind of <laughs> that, that, well, that's a good thing you guys you talked about the, the years at Ball Don't Lie like the good news about uh, doing this for a long enough time and doing like 50 posts a week is like everyone everyone forgets when you were wrong eventually because there's just a new thing that you can put in front of their faces so oh, that's, yeah. that's that, that's been the dandelion model for years put flood, <laughs> flood them with words so they will forget <laughs> so many words so many words with dandelion so look minus the warriors because i think we would all agree with you you have curry you have thompson you dream on and then then let's be honest you got wiggins too the real star of the bunch um <laughs> 
they're gonna if they're all healthy, you're gonna have one hell of a team, even if there's a lot of money going to those guys, something like 130 million dollars combined for next season. But minus the Warriors, Dan, from the Delete Eight, which team do you think has the brightest future? Um, the the immediate brightest future. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird to me, and you know, I feel like Trey, you can uh, you know ping this apart if you want to. I feel like the I don't understand why the Bulls aren't better given the talent <laughs> given the talent on the roster like when it was you're going through the teams that you know the guys that are there and i'm like yeah i like that guy i like that guy that guy works that guy was good before why there, there's like a nine-man rotation of guys i'm pretty sure are at least pretty good and then you're like wait why do they suck again um so i feel like now they're there come on one... dan we all know why they suck we all well, know why it was universal acclaim for the chicago bulls coming into this season now there's a 22 team restart and they're not even the first team who is out of the playoffs before the fake playoffs even begin don't even get me started my question to you we know as bulls fans the reason they underachieved this year can you make any sort of a case for why Jim Boylan should remain the coach of the Bulls? I mean, my case is going to primarily be content-based. So it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's mostly about I want to see where you – once you've established the punch clock, I want to see what the next bit is. What's like, next? How, yeah, how, how, do you, how do you level up from Hard there? hats. Everybody's wearing hard hats. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not just regular masks on the court. It's like construction masks. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't see it. Personally, um, I mean, you know, one of the things that I feel like we always have to remember with coaching is that it's like an iceberg. You know, there's the part that you see above the water and then everything else behind, like underneath the surface that, you know, we don't get to see on a day to day basis. So I'll believe in a lot of context like, oh, yeah, that guy might not be making the, you know, the rotation decision you might want or he's using his timeouts in a very interesting and weird way (laughs) or whatever. But like you don't see the development work behind the scenes and how he's building up a guy's confidence or the way he manages his staff or whatever. I don't think there's enough evidence to suggest that those things, those arrows are pointing upward for uh, for Jim Boylan off the court, you know, and then the behind the scenes stuff. And so if the results aren't there and they haven't been, and the, you have like multiple players who have all spoken out about not really, if nothing else, not throwing their full support behind him, yeah. then, I, then I'm not really sure what the case is, especially considering like the people that elevated him are now no longer in the decision-making capacity for the Bulls. So uh, it, this is like a situation where it seems tailor-made for a big change, uh, and, but I, I, I'm, I'm not sure which direction they're, they're going to want to go with that. Oh, man, well, you're you're preaching to the choir with having been excited for the Bulls coming into the season. I was just as guilty as my man Trey Kirby. I mean, I, I had Jim Boylan for Coach of the Year for crying out loud, and uh, you know I had the Bulls as the surprise team making the playoffs and you know being higher in the standings. Like, yeah, like here's the one case you said it in your article, uh, Dan. It's like. For maybe, for maybe keeping boiling around, and I don't think it'll. Uh, I don't think he'll remain. They had a lot of injuries, um, yeah. you know, like a ton of injuries to some major guys, Markinen and Porter and Carter and Dunn, and it goes on and on. I mean, they just didn't have anyone really healthy uh, for good chunks of the season. Yeah, and then I mean, consistency and continuity is a huge thing, especially when you have a lot of young pieces. Um, I think you know, the number that was uh, the, their opening night starting lineup: uh, Wendell Carter, Lowry Markinen, Otto Porter Jr., Zach Levine, and Tomas Sadaransky. They played only 119 total minutes over the course of the season, which is like you know basically nothing. I think it was only yeah. nine total games that they they actually had that lineup together. Um, so it makes it really hard to get everybody slotted into their roles, but. You also still feel like, yes, a coach's job is to spin plates and to figure out how to keep things from falling down and crashing around him. And Jim Boylan sort of did the opposite of that. It was like he was grabbing the plates off and throwing them down on the ground. <laughs> so um, I don't Yeah, I think that if that is the best case uh, for keeping him around, I think he's probably going to wind up looking for an assistant job somewhere else before too long. But um, the other thing that we have to consider is, you know, the new GM. And this is where another name I might, I might butcher, but Arturis Karnasovas. Is that how we're saying it? Carnishivus, but Carnishivus. There you go. Okay, Tass, I'll take I'll take your word for that. Yeah, um, yeah well, I could be lying, but yeah, go with it. <laughs> Tass, I always believe the lies you tell me. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's you know he's made it clear that he's gonna you know this is like a you know sort of stem to stern reevaluation approach, and he hasn't even gotten to like be in Chicago with everybody yet because of the pandemic and, and the travel restrictions and everything else. So there's a question of how like is he going to take the time and like give everybody sort of enough opportunity to prove themselves or not in like under the new regime. Maybe he decides he'd, he'd rather sort of take his time and see what else is there with a healthy roster before making a big change like that. But 
um, it would certainly seem that there's enough to suggest that a big change should be made. Yeah, especially like you said, you know, you have Zach Levine not really going to bat by any by any means for a guy like Boylan. It would be maybe a different case if like the stars of the team were like, no, 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 we were injured. This is on me. I could have been better. It's not the coach. We'll we'll do this. We'll we'll pull this you know together. But it's the exact opposite. Like they're not they're not doing that at all. Like you said, so it's he's gone is what I'm getting at. Who's going to coach the Bulls is the real question. <laughs> I mean, one name that I, I know I've heard before that I, I don't know how, uh, you know, how intro, what the interest level would be, but Adrian Griffin was a guy that, you know, had the, the, the ties to the organization, is regarded as a real, has been regarded as a really great assistant coach on a number of different teams, um, you know, a defense first kind of guy, somebody that, uh, you know, made the most out of his playing career and then has been sort of respected along the way uh, on the bench. He seems like somebody that would be a fit for, you know, like you want to get the organization back to some sort of, you know, roots and establish an identity. Um, but I, I also don't know. You know, um, uh, Karnischewicz might look for somebody that had, he has some ties to through uh, through Denver. It, you know, there, there's or you know, the, throws open sort of a wide net for you know whoever might have some innovative ideas and ways to put those different pieces together. So um, I think the thing, the only thing that seems clear about coaching s- scenarios and coaching searches is that. Um, the Knicks seem to be starting with like b- big recognizable names, and then like maybe they pick one of those, and everybody else sort of starts slotting into into opportunities. But yeah. I think everybody else seems like they're keeping a pretty open mind and keeping it pretty close to the vest. Yeah, this is why we were happy to have you on because maybe the Bulls are struggling too, but at least they're not the Knicks. That's the <laughs> only solace that I can take as a Bulls fan. All right, guys, I'm out. It was great to talk to you. Uh, hey, we'll catch yeah. you in a decade, Dan. <laughs> yeah, stay up, be safe, everybody. I'll see you. See you when I'm legitimately 45 years old. All right. Um, it's, it's weird when talking about those two teams because they're you look at the rosters. Oh yeah, guys have done stuff in the league, but are there guys on that those two rosters that can develop into stars? And Lowry Markkinen on the Bulls, to me, after going 19 and nine the year prior, looking great just didn't flourish under uh, Jim Boylan whatsoever. And he he voiced it uh, on a finished podcast recently. And I just wanted to mention this quote because it didn't get a lot of press, I guess, because it was in Finnish, but it's hilarious. I had 80, <laughs> I had 80 touches per game the past two seasons. This season, the touches dropped to 40. When I talked to Jim, we talked about how I should concentrate on getting rebounds and then leading the fast break but it's just really hard getting 40 defensive rebounds. <laughs> and, and there you go. Uh, he, he turned Lowry Markkinen into a defensive rebounder, and uh, Karnischewicz is going to say goodbye, I'm sure. Because, yeah. um, because Markkinen, I think, has the potential to not be uh, you know, one, of the, one of the guys. He has the potential to be a star. So looking forward to next year, I, I think, for Markkinen potentially being a little happier than he was on that finished yeah. podcast. Yeah. I mean, you can't be out here getting dragged through the Finnish streets. You just can't be. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's such a bad look for the organization. Um, but I, I do think that's great. Like, when you think about it, it's, a, you know, like the, the argument a few years ago when Kurt Rambis was with the Knicks. And it was like, I mean, my vision for Kristaps uh, Porzingis is that he's a back to the basket three. And you're like, wait, 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 what? Like, what are you looking at? And how does that translate to reality? Like, why would you look at Lowry Markin and be like, you know what? Walton, Bill yeah. Walton. That's yeah. what we're looking for here. Clear clear the glass, clear the boards, get the outlet out up the court and then run the, fr- like, it's like, no, you've got to, you know, like you can't look at a fork and then start trying to like dig into the ground with it. You know, like it's, you know, that you use that to eat and do something different. Big dreams boiling, man. He's the guy that said the Bulls should average 30 assists per game, despite the fact no team has ever no averaged team ever. assists per game. No play. <laughs> (laughs) ever grabbed 40 defensive rebounds but he's pushing the players to do that my my greatest fear is that jim boylan is just magnetic on zoom and he's gonna win everybody over Uh during uh during the video conferences just a thumb with the limitless pill that's it it's like (laughs) well let's uh let's spin this into your knicks dan um you know your question for them in in this column was can leon rose lay a sound foundation to build on and that really does start with who is going to coach this team so who do you think it might be, um, or who would you like it to be? Well, I, I want to start by saying there's somebody, one of the readers who responded was like, thanks for kind of taking it easy on the Knicks. I guess maybe over the course of my career, I have developed a reputation for not doing that so much because, right. you know, you hate the ones you love the most kind of thing. Um, I, well, the, I, I get the argument for Tom Thibodeau, A, because there's a relationship previously, you know, through CAA with Leon Rose uh, earlier in his career, but... Uh, and also, like, I get you can look at it and say, 
established brand name ties to the Van Gundy era and defensive intensity and yada, yada, yada. I get yeah. like the, the sales pitch argument. Um, for me, if I'm looking at, at the available head coaches who have experience, or, you know, head coaching experience, I'd be more interested personally in Kenny Atkinson because I think you're looking at a long-term development project. It's more like who's going to get the most out of R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson and then theoretically uh, Frank Nielkina, Kevin Knox, you know, whatever the, uh, you know, whoever yeah. comes in with the sixth pick or the, you know, the top, the top pick this year, this is like, this is going to be a multi-year project built around getting young guys better. And I think Atkinson profiles to me more as a developmental coach, although the, uh, there's, you know, I, you know, and Trey can speak to this too, you know, like there's the argument that, you know, Derek Rose advanced under, under Thibodeau and Jimmy Butler became an all-star under Thibodeau. There are, there are those cases. Yeah. Um, it's just more a question. I think in the most recent uh, experience where, you know, you had the you know, Tibbs in Minnesota and you weren't seeing that kind of growth with some of the young pieces there. It's a question of, is that the kind of coach he is at this point? And is that the kind of coach you need to figure out what you have in, in the cupboard at this point? But um, to me, to me, I think if you're looking at the coaching search in New York, you have to be thinking, this needs to be somebody we give a very long road to because it's got to be about a developmental roadmap. And as we know, unfortunately, uh, nobody gets a real long, a real long leash in New York because it's like the plan changes every six minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have so many decisions uh, sort of to make this offseason, whenever the hell this offseason is. Um, I guess it has started for them in a way. But like Bobby Portis has a team option, right? Uh, about $16 million. Uh, whether the Knicks will, you know, decline that or not. They have a bunch of guys, as you wrote, on non-guaranteed contracts. Tosh Gibson, Wayne Ellington, Alfred Payton, Reggie Bullock. Like, yeah, there's RJ and there's Mitchell Robinson and then still Frank right now and Kevin Knox. Um, but it's like, what are you going to do with all these other guys? And I think you made the case, correct me if I'm wrong, that a lot of them you think the Knicks should maybe move on from and try and find other talent, though I think you were sort of high on keeping Gibson. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, Taj Gibson just seems like the kind of guy that makes sense as a, a, a placeholder. You know, like he's somebody that is a steady veteran, a solid guy. He's not going to like submarine your locker room and he can play interior defense and maybe be somebody that helps. Like the two most important pieces in the organization right now are R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. And he can help Mitchell Robinson learn you know, the finer points of interior defense and, you know, like I'll be a veteran sort of helper for him. Yeah. And he can be somebody that can, you know, set screens and open up RJ Barrett. Like I, 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 that guy makes sense to me as somebody you would want to keep around, you know, good citizen knows the you know, knows the game and knows how he can contribute at this point in his career. Um, but like, and, and I say this, you know, no disrespect to the players that the Knicks brought in on those short term deals, but like, getting Alfred Payton his next contract should not be a primary goal of this Knicks season. Right. Um, you know, like seeing if Wayne Ellington can return to being like a 38% three point shooter is not something that seems like it should be a big goal of the, the golden New York Knicks. arm. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, and I like, and I like, I, I, there, there's a world in which those guys make sense. It's just the Knicks last season after their big swings and their hopes for what they could do in free agency went by the wayside it was like, let's just sign a bunch of stopgap guys and hope we can like be decent enough to flirt with an eight seed with, you know, these short term veterans. And then as it turns out, having like eight guys on a contract year isn't that great a recipe for building a cohesive whole. Um, So I think you need to think I think it would be it would make more sense to me if you're looking at replacing those roster spots with guys you might want to make more than a one-year commitment to and thinking making all of those roster decisions based on how they might open things up for Barrett or how they might help uh, Robinson develop. I think everything has to be about those two. And then, um, you know, sp- you know, spending $16 million for Bobby Portis in a contract year does not seem like a great way to spend money. But um, who knows? The Knicks haven't exactly been known for their their wise uh, management decisions in years no. past. So we'll see. No, for sure. I, I mean, as a Raptors fan, too, and I mean, past maybe is in the same boat, like, you see Fred Van Vliet and him coming up to a possible huge payday, um, still being like a pretty young guy in this league and pretty damn good. Um, now you can argue whether that Van Vliet, Van Vliet could be a starting point guard and heavy, heavy minutes. I mean, I, you know, we could debate that. But I see a team like the Knicks, maybe even the Pistons, like two teams you wrote about here, where it's like there is a glaring hole for us, you know, a competent, sound point guard. And you wonder if one of those teams, maybe the Knicks, throw some money at a guy like Van Vliet and say, here's 20, 25 million a year. You're our guy. 
Um, I think what well, Skeets is saying is after he wins finals MVP, well, yeah, does Fred VanVleet get the <laughs> max back money? Back. Exactly. Just, just flood it with words, Dan. I'm, I'm just making a dumb prediction, but people will forget afterwards, right? But Fred VanVleet makes he makes sense. I feel it's it's weird. You know, we've we've uh, we've talked a lot about the the underwhelming free agent class of 2020, and you know how it's you know in all likelihood if you know if Anthony Davis decides he's going to you know either re up or extend or whatever with the the Lakers, it, it takes kind of the superstars off the market. Yeah. Van Vliet is a guy I could see making a ton of money because, as you said, Skeets, like this is just he plays a position of need and he's at a stage in his career and a, like, a, a an ability to sort of fit into a few different roles. He could be more dominant on the ball guy. He can play off the ball. He can be a catch-and-shoot guy. He can be a second-side creator, all those sorts of things. He, he would make sense in just a ton of contexts. He defends really well, even at yep. a smaller size. You know, like, he, there you can just plug him in and not have to worry about it. And I think this season, even though he didn't play as a primary point guard, you know, when he was starting alongside Lowry, he still showed he could play, he could start and play big minutes. And yep. so that's really, like, I feel like he's answered just about every question you would need to have answered from him. Um, and the, the question is just, like, are the teams that have big money to spend are would he be interested enough in what they can offer him to go there? And I think that's like the unfortunate thing about the Knicks from or one of the many unfortunate things about the Knicks from this perspective of a, of a Knicks fan is yeah they have a bunch of cap space to to use they have money to spend. Are we confident that people are going to want to take it? Because yeah. at this point like if you are a marquee caliber free agent like, and Van Vliet would fall, fall into that category in this class. And you're likely to have a few different 20 or maybe even 25 million dollar a year offers. Like, are you? Do you feel really good about the way the Knicks have conducted themselves in virtually any capacity, from like just the way that you know guys you know seem to get hired and fired with every six months to the uh, ongoing embarrassment over their messaging surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement and the ongoing protests against systemic racism and police brutality and the way that the that the sort of the James Dolan regime refuses to. Every time they take a step forward, they take six steps back. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're like, yeah, the I mean, the money spends, but the money you'll spend in Detroit too, or the money would spend somewhere else as well. So that like build that credibility gap of can you establish that there's something to build on, something worth sticking around for, something worth being a part of? That's the biggest thing that faces Leon Rose, I think, at this point. There's no reason right now to believe that the Knicks are going to be meaningfully better next season than they were last season just because nobody believes that anybody's going to get a chance to really do something or build that. So he has to start and sort of establish normalcy. Uh, easier said than done in Manhattan. But um, if you can do that, if you can make a, some, a smart draft pick, give minutes to the young guys to establish who can play together and how well they fit. Um, and, you know, maybe if you don't hit a home run in, in free agency, at least sort of hit a couple of singles, get some guys on base. Um, you know, that that's, I think, what it, there needs to be something to build on as opposed to just like going for broke right now. Yeah, the most unfortunate thing about the Knicks is definitely James Dolan. <laughs> He's Man, at the top of the him? list. He's at the top of the long list, yeah. <sighs> Deep <laughs> okay, heaving size. We can move on from that. That's a that's a perfect side to move on from the Knicks. <laughs> All right, we got lots more still to discuss, but first a quick break. I don't know about you guys, but I haven't been that motivated to tend to my hygiene the last couple months. Hadn't washed my hair in weeks. And then I got my goodies from Hawthorne. Body wash got me smelling tangy. Shea butter moisturizer got the face skin all bouncy. And the shampoo conditioner combo has my hair feeling soft. I actually can't remember the last time I conditioned my hair, but it was so fluffy. I said to Danielle, feel this. And she said... (laughs) Wow, that is soft. <laughs> wow. But I went to bed with wet head and I woke up with huge hair, a mop. <laughs> it looked like our old producer, Matty Austin, who was once Nick's, nicknamed Master Poof before he got that hair trimmed, lined up his beard a little bit, nails done, hair done, everything did. And in honor of Matty O, I shaved my neck a little bit today. Felt good. But I forgot to put on my Hawthorne deodorant. That is still stinky in there. (laughs) This is how it works on Hawthorne. Take a quick two-minute quiz, and they will tell you what you need. Or you can take the quiz for someone else. A Father's Day gift, perhaps? Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co, and use promo code NODUNKS to get 10% off your first purchase. 
hawthorne.co and use promo code NODUNKS to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. 29 days. Guys, that's the average amount of time people have to wait to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. A month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get you the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So, if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash NoDunks. That's GetRoman.com slash NoDunks for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Some days can be too much. The bad news piles up, you're stressed from work, then somebody starts a leaf blower and suddenly you're screaming, everybody keep your composure! <laughs> like Will Ferrell in old school. If this sounds like you or Lee, holler at some Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that are super consumable and easy to take on the go. These specially formulated CBD products taste delicious and they can help in all sorts of ways, relaxing, quieting your mind, and yes, keeping your composure. Last year, Sunday Scary CBD Gummies and CBD Oil won top accolades from Forbes, Men's Health, Allure, and Best Products. And they recently launched Cabin Scaries to promote social distancing and responsible isolation. A portion of sales will be donated to the Bartender Emergency Assistance Program to help displaced hospitality workers. Right now, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NODUNKS at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com and enter code NODUNKS where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. Find out what product might be best for you. Go to sundayscaries.com and use code NODUNKS. You know, so we talked about the Warriors, we talked about the Bulls, the Knicks. You know, of these other teams, what was the most confusing team? Dan, to write about. Or like even maybe the most depressing team to write about and their future. Yeah, depressing is, is is an interesting question because yeah, you are dealing with a ton of teams at the bottom of the rank at the bottom of the standings. Um, personally, just you know, the Knicks are always going to be the most depressing team for me to write about. Yeah. But I think in terms of like, sort of sizing up where an organization is, I maybe felt that way like in a way where I was like a little bummed out when I was uh, thinking about the Hornets, and that this maybe seems a little counterintuitive because they were closer to the top like they I think they were 10th in the east so they were like not as far back as some of the other you know wor- you know worst teams yeah. but the but the big question for them is just like where is the star coming from for the hornets because the hornets are not going to like the last real big free agent that they got was like I think Al Jefferson in 2013 and that wasn't like a star that was a guy who they got and then played into like an all NBA level for them and was part of some really good teams there but still you know it wasn't like a superstar free agent signing they've never been able to land that kind of guy in free agency and you know they had Kemba Walker and then they didn't build around him and then they sign and trade him for Terry Rozier they stumble into what looks like an absolute godsend in uh, Devontae Graham, but that's still not like the star that brings everything together. So where their top end talent comes from, because you know, you're talking about a team that if uh, you know, their lottery standings right now, they would be picking eighth. Maybe they jump up and they get you know, uh, you know, one of the, 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 the top, uh, top flight talents in the draft. But even so, you're talking about a down draft where people are a little bit less high on, on some of the, the all-star potential of some of the talent. Where are does you know Mitch Kupchak find like the guy to build everything around? Because it looks like you know you could say P.J. Washington seems like a guy that's going to have like a 15-year career in the NBA. Like that guy makes sense in a lot of ways. Miles Bridges has shown flashes, and there's you know there's a lot to like. Um, but you know, is that somebody that can be? Can those two guys play together? Is another question. Uh, where they you know they're going to play you know super small with what P.J. at the five? Like I don't know if that's going to be a workable solution for them. So is that like one guy or the other? Um, you know, does the Graham Rozier backcourt work? And, you know, how does that sort of come together? Where do you find playmaking on the wing now that Nick Batum is, 
on a different path in his career. Um, you know, there's all these sort of questions for like pieces that might make some sense. You need this, like the centerpiece though. And I don't really know where they get that. So thinking about that, like you have other things that seem kind of cool, but not the thing that makes it all go is kind of like, man, where do you find that? Yeah. No, they are they are definitely, I think, one of the more depressing teams to talk about. They have replaced the Orlando Magic for me as the most anonymous team in the league. And like you're saying, Dan, there's not a marquee draft pick out there right now. They could have some cap space, and there's not a marquee free agent. It looks like 2021 is probably the year when they actually might be able to get something going a little bit, a little bit more forward momentum. I know they were close to getting into the playoffs but there are a lot of these teams that have some sort of cap space for not a great crop of free agents who do you think is going to be the team that says we don't care we're going to spend a lot of money we're going to be the team that brings in Danilo Gallinari (laughs) uh well I mean I think the team that's going to spend a lot of money like the Knicks are going to spend money it's just a matter of whether or not it's going to be for anybody good um (laughs) and uh, or just to retain all of the, the guys that they brought in um the team that I that I see as being a team that should just take a shot at it is Atlanta. I think that like the Hawks have a piece unlike any of the other teams that we're talking about, with I guess the exception of Minnesota with Towns. They have like an all-star at a real important position, a guy who's like an offensive engine unto himself in Trey Young. And Trey Young, I mean, we've heard the rumblings last year that he's already talking about like I need more help and we need to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we need to get this thing going, even though it's still very early in the the life cycle of that organization at this point, but. When you've got a guy that's like 28 and 9 or whatever he was, like, like, and, you know, where the offense just absolutely falls off a cliff when he's not on the court, you need, I think it, it behooves you to try to, you know, accelerate a little bit. And it's not just about, they've built that team to this point, trying to very sort of carefully construct fill in roster roles around him you know here's our long defenders here's our rim running big man with capella well that's the other thing you know they've they've identified that they intend to make the playoffs next year they you know they make the the trade for capella they make the trade for Dwayne dedman so they can have rim protection 48 minutes a game like they've they've identified this is we think we're ready to move and we have money to spend where the I mean, whether somebody like Gallinari, I mean, there's, it's weird to think of it with Trey Young being as, you know, as prolific a shooter as he is, but they, they could use shooting. They really could, you know, they need more, uh, you know, le- legitimate shooting around him. Um, whether that makes sense where you've already got Collins and you've got, um, you know, uh, you know, the two centers that they just brought in. So where that fits as far as a front court rotation, I'm not sure if he's necessarily the guy for them. One guy that I I mean it's, it'll be at the top of just about everybody's wish list in the in free agency this summer. I like may I, I think they should make. New Orleans match a max for Brandon Graham. Like, let's yeah. see. I thought that was an interesting part of your breakdown of this team. I think there's like, even if we all think the Pelicans would match in a heartbeat of keeping Brandon Graham, I think there's actually something to that for the Hawks and that message it sends to Trey Young, Dan. Yeah, like show show that we're you know we care about this. We're willing to go out and and you know put out the put out pay whatever it would cost to try to put a prime talent with you, yeah. somebody that can play off of you, somebody that can take the reins when you hit the bench to keep us afloat, um, somebody that can play the three. And, and yes, they, you know they've draft they've invested draft capital and guys all over the wing, but you know you can build around you can slot ingram into a few different spots in the rotation and have it make sense and those guys you know the the guys that they've drafted the last couple of years cam reddish and deandre hunter like they're still complementary pieces that you, you you could use uh around another sort of centerpiece player so i mean and you're right i mean it, it, if nothing else it sends a message it shows we believe in you enough that we're gonna you know go all in here and you know who knows maybe you get lucky I, and i think this summer would be the one where i would worry a little bit less about having your cap space tied up for a few you know like a couple of days while new orleans can make its decision to match like it's not like you're necessarily going to miss out on a ton of opportunities in, in, in the market, yeah. I don't think. I think it's more like you target, you try to shop at the top of the market and see where it gets you. Um, because I think that, like, they, they've clearly established that they want where the direction they want to go in, and they've got one piece to get there. Now it's time to see if you can get another. And what do you think about John Collins and what they should do with him? You know, you said the Hawks are projected to have close to like $50 million in cap space. He's available for a contract extension, but do you sit on that? Do you try and throw that money at someone like an Ingram, like a, you know, that's a bit of a hail mary, but like a Bogdanovich or a Joe Harris, or do you make John Collins an offer now? And is he, in your opinion, Dan, like sort of max money material? Yeah, that's a it's a fascinating question. It's something we've talked about so much over the years. Like guys you, that you might not think of as quote unquote max guys are getting max deals. You know, it's a, it's a matter you know the rookie max looks different than the veteran you know the ten year vet max and whatever else. But um, 
I it's I don't know if Collins statistically the the case is there. Like I mean he the the is a very short list of guys who have been as productive in terms of points and rebounds and you know field goal percentage et cetera as he has been through the first three years of their career. It's like all star all star all star all star all star John Collins mm-hmm. and. Um, so he's, I, I, you know, you can make the argument for it. He's he's getting better. He's over the course of the uh, last season, he, he stretched out his game to the three-point line. He's showing you an indication that maybe he'd be able to fit in as more of a stretch piece when you need when you have a, a paint-bound big like Capella. Um, there's a versatility to his game, and he's gotten better year over year. So I think that there's an argument for just investing in him and saying, you know, we drafted you, we've developed you, we believe in you, and we're going to go for it. Um, there's also a lot of uncertainty, though, because you're not going to get to see what that team looks like, what the roster looks like with Capella alongside him before you have to make that decision. So I can see, and then you, you know, with, with restricted free agency, they would retain the right of first refusal and be able to match any offer sheet he got. So the 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 the, the concern in not doing the deal up front is you sour him on sticking with you, and then you're like he's pissed off, and you and you have to you know make good later. And yeah, you keep him around on a deal, but you're keeping around somebody who doesn't want to be there. I don't have I haven't seen any indication that that's necessarily where things are going to go for for Collins in Atlanta. But um, I think you, it, it would make sense to me to go and see if you can take that big swing up front. If you don't have success with that, you move toward extension talks and then see if you can lock those two guys in and see where else you might be able to fit uh, new pieces as you go forward. I wonder if uh, him getting suspended for 25 games this past season allows the uh, Travis Schlank and the Hawks front office to say, hey, you kind of ruined our season last year, so uh, <laughs> give us this year without us having to give you an extension, and then you know we'll talk, we'll talk, yeah. well, because it, it is a huge question if if he'll be able to be a stretch four beside Clint Capella and not the primary pick and roll partner uh, for Trey Young, uh, but his defense will probably look a lot better playing with Clint Capella, and, and I agree, it's such a it's an interesting roster that looks extremely promising. And then you put it up against the the Minnesota Timberwolves, who who you, you slipped in there, also have an all star and all NBA player on their team in Carl Anthony Towns, have a a great big like John Collins, have a great guard, D'Angelo Russell and Trey Young, um, but it's not as promising. <laughs> it's uh, for me, it's not as promising. I guess because Carl Anthony Towns has been there for so long, and, and it just hasn't, it just hasn't come together all that well. How many years do you think Carl Anthony Towns gives this experiment with D'Angelo Russell and now Malik Beasley, who Gerson Rosas made a great deal to get? Is there is there a timeline? Is because that because you said Trey Young was he, there were some rumors about him being somewhat upset, but Carl Anthony Towns has been in this league for five years, uh, and you know there's obviously the the flashbacks of Kevin Garnett being in Minnesota and having to get out. How long do you think that experiment? runs with with d'angelo russell is it a year is it two years or or are they just going to be buds uh, until and are they just going to roll together until it you know falls apart i mean i think it's probably you're probably pretty solid through next season because they're you know they, they barely got i think it was 25 minutes of one game before yeah. towns got hurt which is like it's it is just like absolutely mind-blowing that every time they like it feels like they're going in the right direction something bad happens um but you, so you have, I mean, the good news for Rosas and, and for the brain trust there is that they've got those guys locked up through the end of 22-23 before like, Russell goes into, uh, into unrestricted free agency and then Towns is still under contract for a year after that. So there's time to build with those two guys. The question, of course, I mean, this was the question before they made the deal was like, is that a two-man core you can feel good building around? Like, do you feel like, I mean, the, the the thing for me with Towns, as great as he is offensively, and he's unbelievable offensively, it's just, have we seen any evidence that he's able to play, like, quality NBA defense consistently enough to make that a playoff team without somebody, I guess, screaming at him the yeah. entire time, <laughs> uh, you know, for, for, for 82 games? Um, and I think the que- so it, it's it's funny we we lump these two teams together. I was talking to somebody that, uh, earlier in the season. I, I can't say last season because now we're going back to it, but earlier in the season, and I was I, I was trying to sort of pitch this idea that uh, Towns is kind of like big man Trey Young, and Trey Young is kind of like point guard Carl Towns. Where I'm like, 
I know the numbers are sick and I know the production is crazy and I know what this guy does at an elite level. I just, I'm not always positive if it's going to lead to a good team ever um, because you have to, like, there's so much with, with Trey, it's the, uh, you know, the defensive issues and being undersized. And with Towns, it's, I don't know that I can believe, uh, that I have reason to believe yet that he can be the backline anchor on a really good defense. And that's always going to limit the ceiling because if you're playing him at the four, then you need like another defensive five. And then your offense, the geometry of the offense looks weird because as, as great a shooter as Towns is, do you really want him 25 feet away most possessions? And so there, there's all those sorts of questions about the, the way the floor looks if you pair him with another big. And then if you just play like like Rosas has said, he wants to play one big 1.3 wings. Well, then Towns has to be that has to be there. He has to be the the center yeah. barking out the calls on the defense and controlling the, the, the paint. And I don't know that we've really seen evidence that, that he can do that at a high level. So um, what that what a what a defense looks like for big minutes with Russell at the point and Towns at center I think is going to be really interesting to see who those three wings in the middle are and how they play is going to be a, a big big question so if if it's like say Malik Beasley Josh Okogi and Jarrett Culver I mean I can see that like you sketch that out on an envelope and you're like all right I get that, that makes some sense to me but you have to see what that looks like with young guys over big minutes and I I don't really know what the answer is there but I my guess is because they barely got any time to run with it this season, next season is sort of the laboratory for that. And then if it's a disaster next season, heading into the summer of 2021, that's when you start to sort of see if Towns is grumbling or if somebody wants to make a big move. Yeah. I, what I love about a Dan Devine deep dive is I always learn something or I'm reminded of something. And with your Wolves part, I, I was totally reminded of, you know, a task slipped it in there, just how valuable Malik Beasley was in Minnesota. A guy was averaging 21 points per game, shooting lights out from three, shooting a ton of threes. He reportedly rejected a three-year, $30 million extension from the Nuggets last offseason. Do you have any idea what it's going to take for the Wolves team to uh, keep a guy like Malik Beasley? It's a great question because restricted free agency in a market like this is probably going to be pretty weird. You know, like yeah. we, we we still don't know what the economic fallout of the you know coronavirus shutdown is outside of just that it's huge and that a lot of teams are going to have less operating income and they're going to be we don't know what the cap's going to look like. We don't know what the expense, you know, what what uh, what it's going to do to teams uh, projected cap space. We don't know what the market's going to look like for, uh, you know, players, even at the top of the market. You know, we were talking about Van Vliet. Is he like, there's a pretty big difference between $20 million a year and $25 million a year, you know? So what, like, for a guy like Beasley, who doesn't have the same level of, you know, the same track record of production, you know, he was like a sort of unleashed when he got to Minnesota because it was the first time he wasn't playing behind a bunch of other sort of top scoring Mm -hmm. threats. So you've seen that for like, what, 10, 15 games. Is that something where you're going to say, I'm going to pay $15 million a year for that. I don't know. I mean, the one thing that we know is that uh, Gerson Rosas has said he's he want, he doesn't want either Beasley or Juancho Hernan Gomez to go anywhere. Like those guys, he believes that they are like core foundational pieces or at least places that you want to keep around the Russell um, Towns core. So you get the, I mean, the sense is that he would probably have to pay up for that because you don't see that Minnesota is going to get a whole lot of top flight free agents otherwise. So um I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if Beasley start. I mean, he's going to start looking at more than ten million dollars a year. How how much above that Minnesota is going to be willing to go? I don't know, but I, I I think my guess is that he stays there. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle, and it's more like three thirty six or mm-hmm. you know something like that, four and fifty something like that, as opposed to uh, something that's way way higher. Because yeah. I, I'm not sure, I'm just not sure what the market's going to look like for him. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, we're a good forty five minutes in here, and there's two teams we haven't talked about that you wrote about. I'm not surprised at all. They're the Cavs and the Pistons. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys, clear out the next 45. The next 45 minutes just on the Cavs. Uh, so yeah, so the Cavs and the Pistons. Of those two teams, you know, you're trying to figure out sort of where those teams go. What's their identity? Where what are they even building around? So we can tackle both of them. But which team do you have more faith in uh, between Cleveland and Detroit? Of picking a lane and committing to it, and maybe. Um, you know, getting back, in, back into the mix of an Eastern Conference playoff race. Uh, can I say neither? Um, yes, you can, for sure. <laughs> yeah, because I think that, I mean, for one thing, you know, we, we, you know, we talked about this with the Knicks a little bit, like ownership is, uncertainty is a huge factor here. And like um, Dan Gilbert is, is a pretty volatile owner. And, you know, we, we, there's picking a direction and sticking with it has not necessarily been a forte in any non-LeBron James year that the Cavaliers have have operated, yeah. so uh, I mean I don't know I, they they are they are a team that's sort of like uh, yeah it's like a bell like you're a bell curve you know like 
you're thick on either side and you're like lost in the middle. Like they're they have a bunch of bigs and they got a couple of guards that need to play and then they have no wings and it's yeah. like. I don't know, and maybe the answer is like Kevin Porter Jr. at the three more. Maybe the answer is Larry Nance Jr. as a giant three. I don't know, but like they, they've got to figure that out to have a sense of like what a balanced roster looks like. Um, I don't know, and, and the, 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 I, I get, one of the things that I sort of wrote in the thing about the Cavs was it's it, the moves individually made some sense like as you string them along across the last couple of years, but as a whole, like I don't understand what that roster is like what's what's your pro, your best starting lineup given the pieces they've got there? Assuming Tristan Thompson leaves, which I don't even know if they want him to leave. I don't know if they're gonna they, maybe they'll make a, an offer to try to extend him or whatever. But like, is the is your best team um, like Andre Drummond, Kevin Love, Jetty Osman, Garland, and Sexton? Is that your best five? And if so, what the hell kind of team is that? Yeah. Um, is outside of like a team that probably finishes 28th in defense, defensive efficiency and loses 50 games. I, I don't, I don't know. And and so that's like similar to the Knicks. They've got a lot of those young guys where we don't know, they we don't know for sure what they are yet. Maybe got maybe Colin Sexton's sort of destiny is that he's Lou Williams. I don't know. And that would be like an awesome outcome for his career, but it's not necessarily an awesome outcome for the Cavs. Um, and maybe Darius Garland looks a lot better in year two because playing a point, playing the point as a teenager with like no college experience because he got got hurt really early at Vanderbilt. Like that was an awfully rough situation for him to walk into. So maybe with some reps under his belt and some more time to develop, that looks good too. But I don't know. Yeah, there's uh, they they confuse me. I think as much as any team because I don't I just don't understand what what they're trying. They're a few years into a rebuild and I don't know what the rebuild's supposed to do. Yeah. Um, so that that one it sort of confuses me, and the Pistons like, at le- if nothing else, at least they're at the beginning of something. Like it is just like, and 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 honestly, they're even at like year zero of that because it's it, it all is going to depend on what they do with Blake Griffin, and then to a lesser extent with Derrick Rose. If they keep those guys around, maybe they they like flirt with the eighth seed again. But there there's n- the only young piece that you feel like is a you know is going to matter in, in a few years is Sekou Domboya. Like that's kind of it. Everything else is sort of like. I don't know, you know, is Luke, is Luke Kennard going to be somebody that's like a building block piece for us? I don't know. Or, you know, is yeah. Bruce, Bruce Brown and Kyrie Tom? Like, I don't know. There, there's so many. Like Christian Wood know. even. I know everybody's yeah. high on, but do we really know that he's going to be like a legit, legit NBA player? No. I mean, it's, it's a, obviously a super small sample size. He looks like he's a talented guy, but yeah. But also is, and also is Christian Wood even going to be there? Because you're Christian, right. be, yeah. because you're you're talking about teams with money to spend. It's like why yeah. not spend money on like a twenty? However old he is, I think it's like twenty four years old. On a you know like six eleven stretch big who can be a rim runner and can like uh, block shots and hit threes. Like maybe that's a guy that gets paid a ton of money this summer. Uh, so it's like because you know they under the idea that like yeah, there's not a big sample, but the lights are are on and you want to be paying for somebody on the ascent as opposed to somebody that you know is has already proven more but has less runway. So I don't know. Yeah, I think that they're they're they at least have one bankable big player in Blake Griffin at the moment if he's healthy. And they also have the opportunity to like clear the decks if they can to move forward with that. There's at least like a, a clearer path toward a rebuild in Detroit. And then in Cleveland, I, I don't know, it feels like the waters are kind of muddied. But Yeah, that's true. But you wrote, and I thought it was spot on, about that idea of just blowing it up, let's say, if you are the Pistons. Like, okay, we try and get a, a, a trade out there for Blake Griffin or, or Derrick Rose, whatever. But you wrote, committing to suck is hard. Doing it in a market <laughs> where you're already struggling to fill the seats is harder, which is true in Detroit. And doing it in the aftermath of a season stoppage due to a pandemic that's wreaking havoc on balance sheets across the league might be the hardest of all. Like, holy hell yeah. Um, I I 100% agreed with that. That's why they're a fascinating team. It's like, yeah, maybe you should just really keep leaning into blowing it up and just go with Sekou. And what do you got in Luke Kennard? But like, ooh, can you literally just financially convince yourself that's the right path uh, in the immediate future? I don't don't know. Yeah, and I think that that's something. I mean, there's a reason that Tom Gores and that ownership uh, collective has been like focused on trying to make the playoffs every year. Like, it's it, it sounds really paltry to say all it guarantees you is like a, a two home playoff games and the gates off that, and you know, like maybe a, a flirting with relevance before you get swept out of the first round. But like, that's not nothing if you're a franchise that doesn't have 
you know, an established track record of yeah. being good. And it's been a long time since we've seen like a really good Pistons team. So you got to start somewhere. And so maybe like I, the, the, the middle ground for me there is like you sort of dangle, you see what, what might be out there for Blake. My guess is it's going to be a pretty complicated market to, to, to build because of his injury issues and because yeah. of how much money's left on that sal on that contract. But you see what's out there. If there's a way for you to get off of that without, you know, sending your entire draft future, um, you know, maybe you think about it, but if not, like, all right, it's 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 play the kids as much as you can, but play them around Blake and hope that he can sort of be the the rising tide that lifts all boats, like he was two seasons ago, as opposed to a guy who couldn't stay healthy like last year. And then, you know, fl- yeah, flirting with the eight seed isn't isn't the sexiest thing in the world, but you know, some places it, it, it makes more sense. Yeah. At the very least, maybe these two teams could just continue doing business with each other, right? Last year we had Andre Drummond for a bag of beans. Maybe they could do Blake Griffin for Kevin Love, two guys who just need to change uh, <laughs> positions, basically change scenarios. Because oh, it feels such like a depressing dream. <laughs> it right? really is, like, dude. 2019, we, like coming into the 2019 season, it would have been an easy preview question. Who's most likely to be traded, Blake Griffin or Kevin Love? Heading into 2021, who's most likely to be traded, Kevin Love or Blake Griffin? <laughs> Just so, yeah, they, for each other. They can swap for one another, and then those two teams can continue to play one another every other night <laughs> at, at 7 o'clock on League Pass for the next six months. And everyone will be like, oh, yeah, wait, th- haven't those guys played 34 times this season? <laughs> yeah, you always, uh, you know, the, the NBA diehards at least watch the first, I don't know, what, 15, 20 minutes of most Pistons-Cavs games because it's the only <laughs> game on, usually at that 7 o'clock <laughs> slot, and then you move on to the more exciting games. It's, it's, it's when I present all of my takes about how uh, Jetty Osmond is developing. <laughs> Those the, the first half of the first quarter of one of those games before I flick out. Yeah, for sure. Well, you mentioned uh, Andre Drummond. That you reminded me of uh, his player option. He can just walk into twenty eight point eight million dollars next year with with the Cleveland Cavs if he decides to. My question is about a couple other players along with Drummond who would be would be questioned big time if they didn't take this amount of money. Uh, Andre Drummond twenty eight point eight with the Cavs. Otto Porter with the Chicago Bulls, twenty-eight and a half million. He can take next year, and Nicola Batum, the Charlotte Hornets, he can go into twenty-seven million. So it would seemingly all three of those. Of course, they're going to take it. But is there one guy who would you pick out of those three after researching all these eight teams would be the likeliest to walk away from that big hmm. lump sum of money? Oof. Um there, in terms of a guy who might walk away and be able to still get like a, a big deal off the other end of that, I guess it, it's, it's interesting. I, my, it would be either Drummond or Porter because Drummond has the track record and, and like sort of a brand name that, you know, you could see somebody else saying they want to pay big for him. But that the, the skill set and what he brings, I don't know. I think the, the league is kind of on to that not maybe being like he's good, but is he helping you or how much is he helping you? It's mm-hmm. sort of always been the big question with Drummond. So I wonder if a good team is going to be would be willing to pony up for him. Porter, because he's you know, he's a wing that can shoot like and can de- defend a few positions like every team in the league needs more of those guys always. So it would despite him coming off of like uh, an injury, a couple of, of injury plagued seasons where he didn't, you know, I think he was only 56 games two seasons ago, 14 games this season. Um, you know, that there's still value in like a 27 year old wing like that. So I, I could see that. Um, but my real answer is I'm going to, I feel like it's Batum because there's a, uh, our, our colleague DJ Foster at the ringer was writing about teams in the different, the different divisions. And he was talking about Batum in the context of his fellow Frenchman, Boris Dio, where it's like, Remember when everybody thought Boris Dia was just going to like play out the string as like an overweight dude on a bad team mm-hmm. in Charlotte? And then it was like, actually, you get him to a good team, you sort of relight the pilot light on him, and he winds up having a whole second act to his career where he's hugely important on good teams that understand how to use him. I wonder if there's a world where Batum decides he wants to get out of Charlotte. He, he made his money, but then... He wants to go into a more competitive situation and see where if there's a, like a world for him to be like a super sub sixth man, you know, like somebody else's uh, uh, Iguodala or something like that. You know, I, mm. I could kind of I could see that he's already made a bunch of money, so it's a little bit easier for him to walk away from money into a different set of circumstances. So yeah. that that tracks to me. But um, then, I, you know, the other side of it is like, are you turning down the giant, uh, you know, player option like, you can do that next year man like because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> this this will be the last big deal of nick batum's career or the next the last big year of it probably so might as well take that and then um you know 
see where you are after this season. But uh, yeah, mm. there, it's, it's a good question, Taz, because I honestly, I don't know. I think you can see arguments for all three of them. Um, but well, dry, I didn't. Dry. I didn't see that there were. I did not see an argument for the Nikola Batum turning into Boris Diaw. But <laughs> you just made it. it that, that makes sense. He, he'll be at like 140 mil after this season. Um, so that's that's a wow. lot of dollars. That's a lot of euro uh, that he can turn into if if he. I thought you were going to say when you mentioned Boris Diaw. I thought you were going to say he's just going to get on a boat and sail the rest of his. Uh, <laughs> the, you know the rest of his 30s and 40s Sails away. Off. But yeah. But hey. They, Good argument. I did not see that coming, Dan. That's why we have you on, man. That came out of nowhere. <laughs> coming out of nowhere like Boris's boat off the harbor. <laughs> Dan, uh, you know, we talked about we sort of slipped it in there. There's a few things uh, more fun than making predictions that then eventually just blow up in our faces. So let's put you on the spot here. Of these eight teams, give us the top of these eight teams. Who will be one, two, three when we have a next season like who do you have the most faith in i assume the warriors are probably at the top of your list but then who fills out that second and third spot yeah i'd say the the warriors for sure because you know no matter what their baseline is just higher you know barring more catastrophic injuries which yeah. we certainly hope we don't have um i think i think i would do the bulls too because it just i again i feel i feel more confident in like the underlying talent there and feel like in the same, not, not exactly the same as the situation in Milwaukee where they went from kid to Budenholzer and like, but if you put like competent management and a smart head coach in control of a, a pile of already pretty good players, you can have a big turnaround pretty quickly. Right. So I think they, they would be my, my second pick there. And then uh, I guess Atlanta, because I think Atlanta, I, I'm from a, from a structural standpoint, I buy what the I buy the argument for like we're trading for Capella, we're trading for Deadman, we're trying to like establish a solid defensive baseline to build from, and we already have an all-star table setter and playmaker to get get shots and get opportunities for everybody else. Like like Trey Young is already I think uh, he led the league in assists created right at the rim, and now you're giving him like Capella. You know, it seems to make sense to me that yeah. that roster would fit together better and i also think that they're as motivated or they again they should be as motivated as just about any any of these teams to really go for it and try to add talent whether by uh, free agency or trade um because that's like they they want to be back in the playoffs next year so i i, I think those would be my three um because the other ones again you know, we talked we spent a lot of this saying things like confused and mystery and i don't know like a lot of those other rosters man yeah they're kind of like wandering around in the dark and i think it's going to take a little bit longer for them to to move in a, a positive direction yeah i would add to the hawks too i mean they're gonna pray or hope that one of like their three younger wing guys be it like a herder or a reddish or a hunter you know maybe one or two of them right take like the next step or go up a level um all being obviously fairly fairly young guys uh, in this league so yeah the hawks make sense to me dan i just one more question here before we let you go because i can i can start hearing the kids they're getting uh they're <laughs> yeah getting rowdy sorry about there. that no, sorry about no, that don't apologize we're all working Bunch of from pistons home. and Cavs fans finally <laughs> happy to hear their team being talked about um is it you've been doing this a long time like a decade is it more interesting for you to write about bad teams than the good teams <laughs> that's a really good question dude yeah sometimes yeah i mean like i i'll be i'd be lying if i said it's always easy to find something interesting about teams that are bad like uh i, I one thing i've been doing since i got here at the ringer a couple of years ago is as a, a most interesting teams column like pick out five teams in a given yeah. week something about them that i find interesting a player a whatever uh you know a, a storyline and there are some teams including there's one um I, f I think it's at greek bulls fan on twitter if, I, if i've gotten that wrong i apologize who was like why have you not found the bulls interesting and i don't have a good answer for that i just like when, when it's time to, to pick out teams i've never they've never popped to the top of my mind so i've made a vow next season if i if i'm allowed to keep doing that column i will get the bulls in there at least one time um but uh so i, I don't always have the easiest time seeing the angle but when you're sort of it's like anything else, you know, you, you give yourself restrictions and sometimes you like find creativity in the restriction. So yep. if you're like, all right, dude, sell me on why I should care about the Hornets. And I'm like, woof. All right. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, the Biombo money is coming off the book. So that's one right there. And, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of people didn't really see Devontae Graham coming, you know, and so you, you, you have to like go into overdrive a little bit. And so sometimes that, you know, interesting stuff can come out of that. 
Um, and then the other part of it too is like you know like anything else we have there are so many people who do this sort of work specifically in, in my kind of work you know there's a lot of people that you know writing sort of nationally about the league and then even more that write on a team by team basis um, that it's so hard to find like the the angle on something um, that nobody else really covered or picked up on it's immeasurably harder to do that on the really good teams that are covered like crazy you know like it's uh i don't i don't i probably didn't write anything original about the warriors for a few years because there were a thousand people doing yeah. that you know yeah. so there it's a little bit easier if you're like i'm gonna spend a week i'm gonna god help me i'm gonna spend a week watching nothing but calves i can probably come up with something that nobody's been paying attention to um so yeah it, it does make it it, it, it it provides a little more opportunity but um at, at what cost <laughs> <laughs> your sanity by the sounds of it yeah well Dan we uh, appreciate you so much man coming on the podcast I uh, can't wait to talk to you in 2030 it's gonna be great uh, no just kidding what's the easiest way for the listeners that maybe don't follow your work and, and because they're idiots uh, to, to follow you uh, be it on Twitter or whatever yeah um, uh, it's at your man divine on Twitter um, I don't really have a whole lot of cross-platform social promotion opportunities mostly my Instagram is just my kids but if you want to check out my kids you can do that at your man divine on Instagram um, and uh, yeah at the, the ringer.com ringer NBA uh, you can find all my stuff before I go though I want to make sure I say this so that everybody knows I literally wouldn't be doing this if not for J.E. Skeets Tass Mellis JD and, and Trey Kirby all at different points in my development like if trade if uh, if JD doesn't play my phone calls into your old voicemail box <laughs> on your show, I don't wind up becoming part of the community of, of your first show. And then uh, you know Skeets, if Skeets says no to the first freelance pitch I ever sent him, I don't get to start writing at Yahoo. If Trey doesn't let me do more when Skeets uh, went off to be a superstar, then I don't get to keep doing it. So uh, getting to be on this show, even if it took a while. Um, is a legit treat and it feels like something of like a uh, career moment for me. So thanks so much for everything along the way, guys. And thanks for having me today. Well, it's very kind of you. This is, uh, it's long overdue having you on this podcast, but it, it feels like we've known you forever because we have known you forever. <laughs> we have. So. We, what this means is that we're all, we're all just like immeasurably washed. That's what this oh, means yeah. really oh, more than anything else. Oh, 100%. We got, uh, we got maybe one or two good years left in us and then we're done. Uh, so enjoy yeah. it now, folks. Enjoy now. So <laughs> That's right. Dan, thank you so much. Again, guys, get your emails in, your questions and your comments for tomorrow's beach step and email us nodunks at theathletic.com or hit us up on Twitter at nodunksinc and make sure you follow at your man divine while you're at it. Clipper bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And remember, we know nothing about college ball, but I know these names are great college names. Tyrese Halliburton, Killian Hayes, and Dan... Onyeka Okongu, I think. (laughs) Grace the day, people. You could stay.